Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Welcome back. Um, anyone here uh, for the first time uh, or returning after a long absence? Long absence. What's your name? Abel. Abel. Welcome back, Abel. Um, our tradition next is to go around and say our names, and then I'll introduce our speaker for today. Uh, I'm George. Kevin. Jack. Mike. I'm David. <coughs> My name is Jeff. And Joe. John. Jay. Jim. Tony. My name is Jerry. Stephen. Greg, Abel, Grisha, Dave. Our speaker today is Dave Rico. You may recognize him, he's been here before. Uh, Dave Rico, PhD, is a psychotherapist, writer, and workshop leader. He shares his time between San Francisco and Santa Barbara. And Dave combines psychological and spiritual perspectives in his work and his latest book is ready as well, How to Know When to Go and When to Stay. Welcome, Dave. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. This is my second talk on anger. And um, if you didn't hear the first one, it's um, on the website and you can listen. Uh, also, this information is in my other book, which is How to Be an Adult in Relationships. But I will begin with a summary of what we talked about last time, and then go from there. Anger is defined very easily in the dictionary as displeasure at a perceived injustice. Or another way of saying it is, if you're unhappy of being something happened to you or to others that is unfair, that feeling is anger. And of course you can hold it in or you can let it out and the healthy approach psychologically is to express it and it also fits with our Buddhist practice. It's always okay to express your feelings as long as they don't become hurtful to others and thereby contradict our commitment to loving kindness in all our words and deeds. There is a distinction between 
healthy anger and what we could call abuse. So in healthy anger, you are expressing a feeling as a way of communicating the displeasure you have that's happening in you because of what you think is unjust or unfair. And your feelings are always legitimate, even if you misread something. In other words, even if it isn't unfair, but you think it is, your feeling is still legitimate because it's about your perception. And when you express this feeling, uh, you do so with no intent to harm or even change the other person. You might ask for a change, but you're not demanding it. You never lose your temper in healthy anger. You always maintain the uh, limits and boundaries that prevent you from becoming aggressive. All part of our Buddhist practice also. When we cross the line, and instead of showing anger, we are becoming abusive, that's when it looks like violence, intimidation, retaliation. It's a kind of uh, theatrical display which is meant to intimidate. And if you think back to childhood and how your parents or others showed anger toward you, it could be that you hardly ever saw actual anger. You saw uh, the, the, the dramatic theatrical picture of anger. And the way to tell the difference is very simple. If you were scared, it was not anger. If you were drawn to pay attention, it was anger. So now we know that with a feeling like this one, one would have to practice showing the feeling in a healthy way. Because it's easy enough to lose your temper and start screaming at somebody, blaming somebody, shaming somebody, uh, coming at somebody uh, in a scary, aggressive way. And uh, we want to look for um, the practices that help us uh, present our feeling safely. So when someone shows actual anger, you know they still are maintaining a bond with you. When someone turns on you in a, in a way that's meant to hurt you, you see that the connection has been broken. And that is also scary. Of course, when someone comes at you that way, from the point of view of our Buddhist practice, we don't go nose to nose and act toward the other 
the way he or she acts or they act toward us. Instead, we say something like, uh, you know, it seems like this is a little bit out of control here, so I'm going to take off, and when you calm down, we can talk again. Now, I use the word safety, and that brings us to an important question we could ask ourselves. Was it safe to show anger in your childhood home? So I'm not going to call on anybody, but could you raise your hand if it was safe to show anger in your childhood home? Just raise your hand. Not one person? Oh. Okay, so out of about 15 people, only one person or two. In an Italian home, it's so totally safe to show anger. <laughs> um, okay, so in order for a feeling to be installed in our psyche in a healthy way, it has to have been safe to show it in childhood. If it was not safe to show it, then we would have some work to do to let it become safe. The way it becomes safe is through your interaction with peers, friends, uh, partners, lovers, teachers, who show you, oh, the way they do it in your household, uh, that's not quite right. It is okay to show anger. And when you get that permission, then your anger will finally be allowed and you can express it more uh, you can express it more easily and of course if you're if in childhood it was unsafe to show anger or unsafe to be who you were, then it will always require some kind of either work or therapy to kind of set yourself free. Ultimately, you set yourself free, of course, but uh, therapy could be of help. But I also believe that uh, as I just said, the help can come from healthy, new relationships. And we're not resenting our parents for how they were toward us. If we're still resenting, that would mean that uh, we haven't yet set ourselves free. At some point, we would have to say, well, that's how it was, and I didn't like it, and I know it wasn't really right, but it's time to let go of blame. That also contributes to setting you free to express your feelings.
Now, when we talked about this topic last time, I didn't have time to go into an important feature of anger, which is grief. So I do want to talk about that now, and then we can open it up for some discussion. If the definition, or since the definition, is displeasure at what seems unfair, it would stand to reason that it couldn't only be about anger, you would also be sad. I'm sad that this is happening. And when you put the sadness and the anger together, now it's, it has starting to have a new name, which is grief. And a third feeling often comes in, which is fear. So I'm going to give an example of all this. So if somebody hurts your feelings, and let's say maybe snubs you, you're angry, but you're also sad that that happened. I'm sad about what happened. I'm angry at the one who made it happen, although that person didn't make me feel something. That person did something that triggered my reaction. And third, I'm afraid that person doesn't like me and it's important for me to be liked. Or someone rejects you totally or betrays you. Now it's even more serious. And I'm angry that you betrayed me, but I'm also sad that you betrayed me. And I'm afraid that the bonds will never be able to be restored. Or I'm afraid of what life will be like now that I can no longer trust you. So we're always keeping in mind that uh, whenever there's anger, it's a good th thing to ask yourself, am I also sad about something in this? And you know, just ask yourself honestly, because that frees you for a different kind of feeling. And, and that feeling too, sadness, like all the feelings, in order to be uh, now expressed easily in your life, uh, has to have been safe in childhood. If when you were crying in childhood, the answer, the response you got was, stop that crying or I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> if when you were afraid, What's wrong with you? There's nothing to be afraid of. Don't be a sissy. Uh, if when you're angry, it's, how dare you raise your voice to me, slam. Uh, obviously, you're not going to have the experience of safety. And then you're going to be hesitant, even repressive, of all those legitimate feelings. And this applies even to a positive feeling. Give a simple example from my own childhood. Uh, if we kids were 
really juiced up and excited and really happy about you know something that just happened, and we were really showing our joy and exhilaration, my mother would say, remember kids, after laughter comes tears. I always remember that. And uh, it is true that changes happen in the course of life, but it's not necessarily true that if you're happy, you're going, immediately going to be sad. Anyway, um, that would be an example of even a positive feeling was sometimes not quite safe. A healthy relationship in adult life is one in which all the feelings are safe to express. One thing I have suggested when I used to do uh, couples counseling was, you know, for the couple to, or threesome, whatever it is, um, to sit down together and talk about how we each will feel safe with the other's anger. Here's how I will feel safe when you show anger. And uh, what would help you receive anger from me and still be able to reconcile at the end of the day? As the Bible says, let not the sun go down on your anger. So in a healthy relationship, you're doing that. You're not getting in bed together, both angry and holding grudges. You've, you've somehow resolved it. What does it mean to resolve? That you feel your anger was legitimate, safe to express, understood by the other person. Maybe an apology if that fits the bill. Reminds me of this uh, passage from uh, The Tempest by Shakespeare. Though with their high wrongs I am struck to the quick, yet with my nobler reason against my fury do I take part. The rarer action is in virtue than in vengeance. So he's saying, yes, I do feel it. I do feel the anger. And I feel the fury coming up. But I, have, I now have a way of responding virtuously rather than vengefully. So let me just open it up for some ideas that you might have. Um, Anybody have comments or questions? Uh, Jeff, hi. Hi. Nice uh, to see you again. You too. What a great talk. Um, I grew up in a family where there was anger and violence, and so it really wasn't safe to express anger. Um, and that's something I still work with. But my question is, uh, I keep reminded, I'm reminded of the Buddha story about the snake that keeps biting people, yes. And uh, his teachers, uh, I'm doing it you know, wrong, but the gist is, 
he has a teacher who tells him, you know, you can't be bad people all the time. So he, he stops and then he comes to his teacher and he's all beat up. People beat him with sticks. And the teacher said, you know, he said, well, he said not to bite people. And he said, the teacher said, I didn't tell you to stop hissing. <laughs> <laughs> so you did mention that the anger is theatrical. And sometimes I'm thinking of having been mugged myself. Uh, having been what? Been mugged. Oh, mugged. Where people were very aggressive and, and don't respect, uh, you know, maybeness or, uh, you know, what may be a, a Buddhist response, although I've heard of very powerful responses. Um, sometimes it's appropriate, it seems to at least his. <laughs> Always. <laughs> That's a very good way of expressing it. Thank you, Jeff. I'm sorry that happened to you. So we live in a world of violence, and it's certainly a feature of our society. We would have to have our own standard that we follow both in the face of violence from others and in how we show our own angry feelings. That's what I mean by this whole thing takes practice, especially if you didn't have good models at the beginning to see how, um, how to express uh, yourself in a safe way. I was uh, re-watching um, To Kill a Mockingbird and um, I paid particular attention to this scene. Um, so it's the trial has been happening and Gregory Peck, Atticus Finch, he's now making a visit to the family of the defendant, whom we know is innocent, but um, it's obvious that the court won't find him innocent. Anyway, he goes to their house to talk to them. And when he comes out, oh, and his son is in the front seat of the car, his car. He comes out of the house and standing at the car is the father of the mendacious girl who is saying that the defendant raped her, which we know didn't happen. But um, he's obviously furious toward Gregory Peck for taking on this case, case of the defense. He spits in Gregory Peck's face. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this guy is a model of how to behave. Let's see what he does, because I forgot. So you've got a handkerchief. He wiped off the spit. Wallace looking the guy straight in the eye. Of course, his son is watching from the car, and we are watching. And he 
doesn't say a word. He just gets in the car and drives off. And the, the you see the face of the father kind of flummoxed. He doesn't know what to think. And I thought, oh, I guess that's how you handle it. Does this make sense to you? Or what would you say? Does this seem like what someone would do who has a spiritual practice and integrity? Or do you think he should have done something else? Any ideas? That reminds me of another story. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> I'll stop. Uh, it's, there's you a, speak up for the people online. Sure. That, there, there's a, uh, it's a situation sort of uh, in which there's this army and a Genghis Khan kind of character and, and they uh, take over this uh, temple with monks and he walks, the uh, guy walks into the monks, the head monk's room and he said, I could, don't you realize I could disembowel you with my sword and not even blink an eye? And the monk said, don't you realize I could have you disembowel me and not even blink an eye? Mm -hmm. Good example. Dave online says, uh, Dave, do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? Sure. Um, let me pull it up. Uh, stay for Boston, where I'm sure some can identify where anger and surliness are a form of art. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, but, but not always true. Uh, I interpret my feeling of anger to signal to me that I feel threatened. The feeling might or might not be related to the immediate situation. Therefore, my task is to understand why I feel threatened and work with that, and I just wanted to ask your thoughts on that. Uh, thanks for bringing that up, and yes, it makes perfect sense. Now, with the idea of feeling threatened is also the fear, and so it's a combination both of anger and fear. Does that seem right to you, Dave? Would you recognize... Um, that feeling in yourself also? Uh, well, when I say threatened, I actually include fear. Okay, good. In fact, you're reminding me of um, this way of looking at feelings. If we think of the givens of the human story, one of the givens is that at times, as David just mentioned, you will feel threatened or somehow um, in danger. At other times in life, you will be treated unfairly. At other times in life, losses or betrayals will happen. If we lived on a planet in which those three could possibly happen to us, and of course they've happened to all of us at one time or another, and there, were, there was no way for the human body to release itself 
from the uh, stresses that were caused by any of these three events, threatened, treated unfairly, or made to lose something or betrayed, then we would be in a woe-begone state. But Mother Nature has endowed us with three ways of handling these givens. When it comes to being threatened, we feel fear that activates the kinds of hormones that make it possible to fight, flee, or freeze, whichever one makes you feel safe. When it comes to being treated unfairly, Mother Nature has endowed us with anger, which makes it possible to fight it's the same three. Third, uh, knowing that there would be losses and betrayals in the course of life, nature has endowed us with the capacity to grieve and thereby let it go. So you can think of feelings this way. There are technologies built into the body-mind. And the reason they're built in is because in the course of all these centuries that we've been on, this gene pool here has been on the planet, uh, these various things occurred and we needed to equip ourselves to deal with them. If there was no such thing as a loss or a betrayal, there would be no such thing as sadness and likewise the other feelings. So, in happy events, we have the ability to feel joy. So, um, we don't want to think of the feelings as in any way alien. They fit perfectly with uh, the kind of things that could happen to us. Our only problem is repressing the feelings or uh, twisting them so that they're not um, really authentic, as an example of anger turning into abuse. Yeah? Yeah, thank you, David. I was, I'm thinking of the kind of the collective co cultural determinants of feelings and anger, especially. Mm -hmm. and as a gay person, it was important for me to discover that the anger and rage I felt at the injustice wasn't just my own. It was a collective um, experience. And to begin to sort through that, um, I had to understand how, you know, I was bullied and um, how that kind of injustice I experienced um, because of who I was, and that there were others like me. Hmm. As soon as I found there were others like me, and especially, you know, I've been thinking a lot about gay liberation in the 68, 69, there was that feeling of 
discovering that there's others like me, and that anger transformed into a tremendous feeling of joy and connection. Yes, and protest. And protest, right. Yeah. So that would be the healthy direction of a collective anger that's supposed to turn into protest. Although it's also supposed to include grief because it's also sad to be, you feel sad when you're bullied, not, not just anger, angry. I'm glad you brought that up because the collective, all the feelings have a collective dimension. Yeah. Uh, hi, thank you. Uh, you gave us all, I think, a lot to think about. Um, as you were talking, I was, and afterward, um, trying to connect what you were saying with Buddhist principles, um, and you brought that up uh, some. Um, and I thought of um, being true to ourself. Um, speaking without harm, um, there were several others <laughs> I can't remember now. That's a good um, example. The right speech right. would be showing the feeling without blaming and shaming. Right, right, right. But go ahead. Uh, no, I just wanted to ask, are there other principles that you would link directly? And yes. Uh, for instance, in the Dharmapada, which is a collection of Buddhist sayings, we have this one. One act of retaliation burns down a whole forest of merit. All your practices go kaput when you retaliate. So retaliate, so not retaliating, but, opening, but saying ouch and opening a dialogue, that would be the healthy style and the one that fits with our commitment to mindfulness and loving kindness. I gave a talk once at Spirit Rock. Uh, I hadn't intended it to be for couples, but it must have been the must have been the way it was, the way the blurb was written. I noticed there were mostly young couples in the audience. And uh, I hadn't planned to say this beforehand, but I was on the topic of, you know, retaliation. I pointed out, you know, it's understandable that enemies retaliate against each other. I get that, even though it's not acting with loving kindness and integrity. But I understand it. But I noticed in my own relationships, I could be retaliatory against someone I loved. And in working with couples, I started noticing that some of the things they were doing to each other were actually forms of retaliation. That led me into a whole new way of looking at it. Uh, mysterious. I thought, why would people who love each other retaliate against each other? Why wouldn't they say, ouch, and open up a dialogue, try to work things out? There is no answer to the question, of course. But um, 
as I say, without planning this, I said, I just automatically said, um, for you who are in relationships, you know, here in the audience, what if tomorrow morning at the breakfast table, you were to say to your partner, uh, I'd like you to know that I'm going to be trying a new practice. No matter what you do from now on, I'm not going to retaliate. And of course, you can only say this if you don't expect the other person to say it too. That doesn't matter. This is your deal. I just decided I'm just not going to retaliate within the relationship. I'm going to say ouch, I'm going to do whatever. And they were sitting there in stone silence. I thought, did I say the wrong thing? Then it suddenly occurred to me, oh dear, I've put them on the spot. Because now, if you don't say this tomorrow morning, <laughs> you're basically saying to your partner, I intend to go right on retaliating. So, um, I kept thinking about it later, but uh, obviously that is the case. You're either going to try to get revenge or you're not. And in our understanding of Buddha's way, uh, we're, we're wanting to let go of that style. Thank you. Question, thank you. Quite other questions about this or ideas? And of course, the retaliatory response is not anger, it's abuse. Even when it takes a very minor form, like, he didn't call me back, so I won't call him back. Even that has an aggression in it. As opposed to, he didn't call back, but my standard is to call back. So I'm going to keep calling back. I mean, I'm not going to overdo it, but uh, I'm not going to take my cue from someone else. Everybody get it? Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think I'm quoting the right. Carl Manager said once that revenge is the most predominant uh, motivating factor in American couples. In American, in American life, yeah, adult. I could believe that. Yeah. yeah. And people go to high school reunions out of revenge. Yes. <laughs> you know, I was watching a movie last night, uh, Clint Eastwood, you know, one of the Dirty Harry, <laughs> Dirty Harry ones, which I love. And of course, it takes place here, San Francisco. And the guy he was um, trying to apprehend, the criminal, was doing such horrible, mean things, one after another before Clint Eastwood could finally put an end to it. Anyway, I'm sitting there and I said to myself, they're showing this criminal do these especially mean, brutal things. And I know that by the end of the movie, he's going to get his. <laughs> And he's going to get 
a really hard hit. Some horrible thing that's going to happen to him before the end of the movie. Not done by Clint Eastwood. It was just kind of an accident. But he had a horrible fate. And I thought to myself, these films are set up to pander to the need to retaliate. Uh, Dirty Harry is not trying to retaliate. He's apprehending you to go to court where you get your fair hearing. He does not retaliate. In fact, if you stop to think of it, the hero of the film is not retaliatory. He's, um, he's just trying to bring about justice. Anyway, I, I thought to myself, my wanting something bad to happen to this character shows that I'm not fully doing the practice, <laughs> at least on a mental level. Anyway, uh, any final questions before we wind up, including online? Well, I did want to... Oh, yeah. yeah no, go ahead. And how do you distinguish emotions and feelings? Um, usually it's the um, feeling is something that um, most of the time they're just the same. But some people distinguish as uh, the emotion is a state that goes on and the feeling is something that comes up immediately. So I'm immediately angry, but as I keep feeling it, it becomes an emotional state. But ultimately, they're the same. But I do want to end with a short story. Um, and again, it's a Zen story. And in this one, there is a, um, a, a brigand, a robber, who's been terrorizing the countryside. He's also a person uh, who is uneducated, kind of a roughneck type. But he has three questions in his mind, and these questions are philosophical, religious, and he does want to find an answer. And he had heard that there was a very famous monk <coughs> Uh, at a particular monastery nearby now, uh, who was very wise and could answer these kind of questions. So he went to this monastery, but since he was a bullying type, instead of knocking at the door, asking for entrance, I'd like to see the abbot, he just burst in and uh, went straight up to the Abbot grabbed his, uh, his uh, habit and said, I have three questions I want to ask you, and I demand that you answer. And he said this in a bullying, uh, kind of intimidating way. And my three questions are these. What is heaven? What is hell? What is heaven? And what is enlightenment? He stepped back, and the abbot, who was sitting in the meditative pose on the floor, looked up at him and said, 
You are uncouth and ignorant, and I have no intention of teaching you anything. When he said this, the brigand was so angry, he started taking his sword out of his scabbard, ready to cut off the abbot's head. And as he pulled the sword out of the scabbard, the abbot said, that's hell. He pulled back. He, he was just shocked. He put the scabbard, uh, the sword back in the scabbard. The abbot pointed and said, that's heaven. Once again, he was just so shocked and he really was getting it. He knelt down in front of the abbot and said, make me your student. The abbot pointed to him and said, that's enlightenment. Mm -hmm. Or another way of saying it is, the abbot said those mean things, knowing that this is how he could get the teaching across. All right, so we're going to be looking for, you know, what's hell, what's heaven, and what's in the Thank you all. Thank you. Announcements, anyone? I'm the host. Um, so <laughs> I'm announcing that. So please stay around and enjoy the company of the Sangha. Uh, there are refreshments out there and hot water for tea. If you have tea, please um, rinse your cup and put it in the dish rack. Um, I'm going to go around with the Dana bowl. As you know, Dana is the Pali word for generosity. And uh, the suggested donation is 10 to $25. So those here can pay that in cash if they want. Um, anybody can pay online if you go to gaybuddhist.org. And there's a, there's a donate button. Um, you can pay through PayPal or you can send in the check. So uh, the contributions go for honorary for our speakers, rent for this building, uh, the quarterly newsletter, which goes mostly to people who are imprisoned by our injustice system, and um, the monthly dinners at Larkin Street when we start those up again. There's a newcomer's sheet outside to sign up if you want to be on our mailing list and directory. And some people, after we're done communing, uh, meet outside at the door or inside at the door to go out for lunch. Anyone else? Um, oh, Jeff. We have a wonderful volunteer opportunity for somebody who has some technical skills. We need a volunteer help with Zoom on Sundays. How many? How long does it take? An extra hour? Half hour. Half hour. Uh, it's a great support to the Sangha. And yes, I found. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Just quit. Search continues. <laughs> uh, see me or Grisha, and we'll train you. Thank you, Jeff. Anyone else?
I just wanted to acknowledge the people online and say thank you for being here today. I guess we can get together for the dedication of merit. I think you'd like to repeat this in there. Okay. By the power of this and of all our practices, may we greet the all-illuminating dawn of love and wisdom, and may we always be loyal to those who are still lost in the darkening sunset of fear and craving. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.